Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast, giving you the best tips on achieving the perfect renovation whilst making it as fun, safe, and as cost-effective as possible by hearing from experts in the industry and people that have been through the experience themselves. Let me introduce your host, four times award winner of world-leading interior design website, House, and over 16 years in the industry, renovating just over 250 properties, James Woodham. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Property Renovation Podcast. My name is James, and on this episode, I speak to Juliet. Now, she's a Chicago-based architect of over 10 years' experience, um, she specializes in residential architecture and we've just had a big discussion around the importance of planning for your project. Um, a lot of people rush this, um, and rush a, a project or a renovation. And, uh, we speak about the importance of it, uh, what is involved in planning and how important the possibility of a project manager, uh, is as well. Um, and just the implications of what can happen if you don't plan. So, uh, enjoy the episode. Thank you very much. Okay, so welcome to the next episode of the Property Renovation Podcast. This one is slightly different. Um, on this occasion, we are going over to the other side uh, of the of the water um, to the US. Um, and the reason behind that is because we have got uh, 35% of our listeners um, that are from the US. And um, I thought that it's uh, it's been a long time coming and I wanted to get someone that was from the US to come on uh, and discuss renovation and the topics around renovation um, because let's just face it, the rules are different, the regulations are different, the terminology and the procedures are different. So um, without further ado, I just want to invite Juliet. Um, Juliet is an architect and um, I will let her introduce herself. So Juliet, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Hi, James. Um, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It's going to be fun. Um, I am an architect living and working in Chicago. I have been in the architecture industry for just over a decade now. And from the very beginning, my focus has always been residential architecture. This goes way, way back to when I was a completely inexperienced intern. The first time anyone paid me to do anything with architecture, it was actually a gut reno job this beautiful historic building on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago. If you know anything, you know that's the street. It's the avenue. It's right on the lake. It's gorgeous. And so it was just this gorgeous gut renovation. And I just fell in love with the process because you get to take this sort of neglected, it needed a lot of love, but then you worked with the clients and you basically get to create the home of their dreams. And there's just so much love and heart and sweat and tears it goes into these projects but it's just um it makes it so much more fulfilling than any other project type i've experienced you know there's doctor's offices restaurants it's just it's just not quite the same it's not as fulfilling or as fun yeah yeah no i totally agree with you um i think uh, you you actually just go through that journey with someone that owns a home mm-hmm, um, and renovating it from the beginning, seeing their change in themselves because they completely live in the property in a completely different way. Than right. The so yeah. Um, and, and yeah, you're right. It can be quite stressful. 
Um, and you're dependent a lot on everyone coming together. Exactly. It's a, it really is a team effort. That saying, you know, it takes a village. It really, oh my gosh, it takes a village. You need, I mean, we need the builders, obviously. We need the contractors. We need the building engineer, the people on site managing the property. We need the city. We got to, you know, things got to be up to code. It got to be safe. It got to be healthy. You need the owners, you know, because it's, it's their home. It's, it's their show. We're here yeah. for them 100%. And so it's all about getting everyone on the same train going in the same direction absolutely well i've got to say i I was really pleased i've been talking to you for a while and i'm very very pleased that um we've finally got you on um and uh today's episode actually we're going to talk about uh fail to plan and plan to fail and um i'm literally just going to switch the tables i'm going to leave this to you because um i'm pretty sure you know a lot about it Um, well, actually, yeah, this topic was inspired by one of your earlier podcasts when you mentioned this saying, how you loved it, you know, fail to plan, plan to fail. And it's, I was just in the middle of, you know, working and then I just stopped because it was just like, absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, I think architects, a lot of what we do on TV, it seems very glamorous, but like the everyday nitty gritty, like what do we actually do? Very few people know what that's like. And, you know, we get to design, we get to do a lot of exciting things, but that really is anywhere between 10 to 20% of what we do. The rest of what we do is project management and project management means a lot of planning. Like design is basically planning ahead of time for all the things that may or may not happen. And for the things that you, obviously for the things that you want to happen. So I think that, and it's actually a common thing when you watch, you know, HGTV here in the U.S. I'm not sure what the British equivalent is, but, you know, all those home shows where owners, you know, renovate their big property. And at the end of it, especially when it's more of a do-it-yourself situation, it's a documentary and they just follow along the homeowners. Yeah. At the end of it, every single homeowner is always like, oh my God, this has been so much work. This was exhausting. Mm-hmm. There were so many decisions to make. This was so much management. If I knew it was this much work, I would never have done it. I'm not, I'm not sure I'll do it again. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, that's why there's an entire industry built around this because it's a huge job. And Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. But, it's, but it is definitely possible to do it yourself. You just, you know, would you want to set yourself up for mm. success and not failure? I think um, you're, you're absolutely right there um, with the project management side of things, besides all of the design and like trying to... Um, bring everything together and manage all of that. There's meetings upon meetings upon meetings. Yes. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are risk assessments all the time, quality check-in, um, and being answerable and accountable. You know, they're, they're, this is the whole thing. Um, it's a big job and um, someone does it. And, uh, exactly. <laughs> but before they do it, they go and study for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. In the UK, there is uh, something called Prince2 qualification for project management. Um, and it's, uh, it's exactly, it talks about, um, it, it, it just takes you through scenarios and how to deal with the processes right the way through. Mm. Um, and if you, if you, if you just think about a homeowner that decides not to take project management and says, I can handle this myself. Right. I hope they can, because it's, it's like, um, it's like saying that you can drive a car, but you've never driven a car before. Exactly. 
know. Exactly. And your car, by the way, is worth a lot of money and you just mm-hmm. hope you don't crash it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I actually do think that's interesting because especially in the whole DIY arena, I'm always, I'm constantly amazed by this profession because on the one hand, I'm extremely humbled by it because I've been doing this every single day for 10 years. And almost every single day I come up across something. I'm like, huh, I don't know how to handle that. Or that's new. That's a new condition I've never seen. What, what do we do about this? And so then I get to apply my 10 years of experience into solving that problem. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you go out on site, this is not rocket science. You know, there's, there's concrete, there's rocks, there's wood, there's some glass. Mm-hmm. You put it together, it stands up, it keeps the rain in the window. It's not rocket science. So that it's, it is completely doable, but it's just a lot. Yeah. That's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> not rocket science, but it's just, it's a big bite to, you know, bite off and start chewing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. All right. So in terms of helping people try to set themselves up for success and not failure, I think the first thing is to realize that um, everything in your home has probably four to five, seven decisions behind it. You got to choose what it is, where is it going? What kind of a thing is it? How many of those things are you going to have? How tall, how big, how wide? Mm. which way, what direction does everything go? And of course, the big question, how much? How much do you want to spend? How much are you willing to spend? And how, especially in that budget, prioritizing certain items over others. And so it's, if you go into this, this large project of a remodel, understanding the framework around all of these micro decisions that you make is going to be a huge, huge help. Okay. So I think the first question is really where, which is, I think, what everyone talks about and thinks about initially, like, oh, where do I want my windows? Where do I want my doors? A lot of times, though, you get into trouble when you don't think through all the small details around those things. So even a door, you kind of know you want the door, maybe not in the center because the piece of furniture is going to go there, the TV is going to be there. So you want it off to the side. Yeah. So I'm not sure how detailed, I mean, it depends on person to person and how detail they want to be and their ability to work with the software that's available to them to sort of dimension out plans. But if you just say, you know, let's just have this over here, push that over to the side. You know, if they push it over too far to the side, that door, which you imagine this beautiful casing or trim around it, suddenly there's no room for that casing or the trim and it gets, you know, chopped off awkwardly. Yeah. So it's like, oops. (laughs) I've seen that happen. (laughs) Exactly. Like pretty much every home, every old home I've lived on that's happened several times. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's the where, and then the how many, like lights, your recessed lights, how many, how many holes are you going to put in your ceiling? Where do you want them? Um, before, I used to not see a lot of recessed lights in, say, bedrooms, but I feel like nowadays a lot of owners are wanting recessed lights near bedrooms. But just, um, just follow that logic all the way through. So you know where your bed is, or you know where you want your bed to go. You're lying in bed, you're reading a book, you look up. What if there's a can, a recessed light staring straight down at you? Yeah. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. <laughs> so <laughs> think about how many do you want? How much do you actually need? And then where, again, throw it back to the first question, where do you want that? Hmm. Sort of think about the everyday flow of how are you going to be using the space? Where exactly in that room are you going to be sitting? Or what? how are you going to be occupying that? Are you going to be moving around a lot? Is that a room where you're sort of stationary? It's just all these sort of, again, a larger framework of the entire home and how you're going to use it. Mm. 
the other question is um, how tall, how big, how wide, et cetera. So obviously with doors, big doors, wide doors, skinny doors, you have to decide all of that for the doors, same as the windows. But what I would like to encourage um, homeowners to do is, again, step back, think about it, larger framework. So you have, you're in sitting, imagine yourself sitting in a room and there's the ceiling height, which is you know, normally a single height, unless it's cathedral or maybe someone doing something in- architecturally interesting, or maybe that's someone budged up a little bit. So you get Architecti- architecturally interesting. I love that. <laughs> you gotta, you know, there's people like different things. You gotta allow for that. Okay. <laughs> but imagine a standard room with a consistent ceiling height, and then there's a door. And then you have windows also. It's probably going to look really nice if the door height is the same height as the windows. And so they're consistent all the way around. It just sort of, it brings everything together. It adds sort of a consistency or stability to the design. Hmm. I've had the privilege of working on some very high-end homes. And every single architect I've known who's worked at that level... We always, always, always were sticklers about get that head height right, get the, I mean, have it consistent. And if you look at old historic homes in all across the world, I don't care if you're talking about Paris, Tokyo, Berlin, London, New York, all the classic, beautiful architecture, they got their windows right. They got their doors right. They were all consistent. Absolutely. So the next thing I think is easy, uh, we want to talk about is like which way and which direction. Um, actually... The last time I was at my brother-in-law's house, I was standing in his kitchen. And so his kitchen and his dining room sort of flow together in this space, sort of open to each other. And there's a big deck off the back that runs the entire width of that kitchen slash dining room area. And then he, when he put in the door to go out to the deck, it's the builder actually ended up making the decision for this. And it's a bit unfortunate because the way the door swings, the door swings in like it traditionally does for residential homes, at least here in the U.S. Yeah. But then, so if there's the hinge side, the opposite side of the door, the strike side is right up next to a countertop that ends. So every time you open that door and you try and come out and you go out to the deck, you're sort of pinched between where the door is swinging open and that corner of the counter that you're trying to get around. And it's, Every day, not that big of a deal, but you know, over and over in the summer, you're carrying big platters of food that you're going to grill out there. It's just, it's a little annoying. And yeah. so you got to think about like, so how is, how are things functioning? Which way are the doors swinging? And even again, with your windows, you know, you want your windows to open, but you have to make decisions about how they're going to open. Do you want double hung windows? Do you want casement windows? Mm. Do you want um, awning windows? All these different options. And every single option, again, is a decision you're going to have to make. And then how the door swings, what window type, you should, again, step back, think about it. All right. What is this home? Is there a specific style that this home is in that you should want to respect or, you know, kind of continue on into your renovation to maybe be consistent about, you know, double hungs everywhere, casement windows everywhere. But also, of course, that question goes right into the other, this last question of how much. Because, um, for example, casement windows are, at least here in the U.S., they're almost twice as expensive as a double-hung window. I'm not sure why. I would like to talk to a window manufacturer and know why they're so much more expensive. But say, say you have an older home and has casement windows everywhere and you really want to 
sort of, you know, respect the style of that home and continue that around. But then you go get your bins, you know, sticker shock. These windows are way more expect, you know, way more expensive than I thought they would be. Mm. So then you just have to make the decision. Do you really need casement windows? Maybe not. But if you have a beautiful historic home, is it worth prioritizing having casement windows? I mean, maybe. It, of course, it depends case by case and on the homeowner. But yeah. I think um, uh, from my point of view, your point of view, being in this industry, if you yeah. go and walk into a, an older house, um, automatically you are making sure that you don't see any other vision than what it's supposed to be in respecting the home. Right. Um, and I think uh, I've, I've probably I've seen both sides of this where um, homeowners that have purchased a an Edwardian or Victorian house mm-hmm. and they've really respected it, brought it back to life um, and replaced the windows. Casement windows are sash windows. That's, that's what we call them in the UK. Oh, sash um, windows. Sash okay. windows. And... Um, and they, it, they are, you're right, they are expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all to do with the weights inside and, you know, the way that they're made. They, you, you cannot change this. And um, I think they look absolutely amazing. If they're, if they're restored right, they're done well, um, there's very few companies that do them anymore. Yes, yeah. Right, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. But, I've, again, I've also seen the other side where people have just taken them out and put in, I don't know, standards win- <laughs> standard windows <Right. laughs> don't even look right. They don't look yeah. right. So, um, and when they're, when they're up against like good, good, really nice architrave around a door, it, just, mm-hmm. it doesn't match. It's just, yeah, upsetting. It's, it's right. I, I mean, I respect the fact that, I mean, a lot of times they're just being like, look, these are old windows, you know, we're leaking cold air. It's, that's you know, yeah. the winter. I, my bill, my heating bill is so high. Like just, just get me new windows, period. <laughs> and that's definitely understandable, but it's, especially when dealing with historic homes, I personally always encourage homeowners to respect the fact like, look, this home has been here since before you were born. It'll be here long after you're gone. Mm. This is, I mean, in a very small way, it's, it's a cultural artifact and it's yeah. architecture is public. It faces a street. Everyone sees it. So whatever decision you make about those front windows, you're kind of inflicting that decision on everyone who passes by your house. Yeah. I mean, this is why I don't think architecture is not, it's not a fine art. It's a, I think it's properly understood as a civic art because we're in the business of building cities and neighborhoods. I mean, these are, Every single home is a contribution to that larger public space. Mm. And so <clears throat> talking, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about stepping back, I mean, it's even greater if you can get the client to step back and sort of see their home in relationship to the street, to the block, to the neighborhood. And so it's, it's really about sort of systems thinking. And then you just take that system thinking, you just, you take it one layer down, one layer down back from the block to the street to the home and right down into the room. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Uh, where are we next? Well, I think, how about, I sort of think it's an it's, uh, interesting intellectual exercise to take, say, flooring and go through, all right, every single room is going to need a floor. So what kind of, let's quickly go through the where, how many, how tall, which direction, okay. how all those decisions apply to the floor. Mm-hmm. So, 
flooring, it seems obvious where it is. It's on the floor. But um, a lot of times I feel like it just in big picture discussions, clients will be like, when we enter here at the entryway, I want to have this flooring. And over here, I want this flooring, which is fine. But then the real decision is how do those two materials meet and where? And then how many sort of, that's less applicable to this one. How tall, how wide, decision about the floorboards. Are you going to go for like, say, wood floors? You're going to go with the really wide, beautiful, wide plank flooring? Or tile, we're going to do a small mosaic here. We're going to do, you know, big 24 by 24 inch tiles. Mm. And then which way are they going to run straight? We're going to do a herringbone. We're going to do a diagonal pattern. How much, again, how much can you spend (laughs) on this item? How much of a priority is this particular item for you? I think um, talking about where absolutely it's very important. I think the direction... um, I don't think people really see that sometimes like there are definitely um, inspiration images. You can go on Pinterest, you can go everywhere, but this is your home and Mm -hmm. you need to see how it will work in your home in terms of which direction and pattern you want. Um, Mosaic tiles, they can look very, very busy if you've got too many of them. Um, And I think uh, uh, also, having larger format tiles or uh, wood flooring doesn't look right uh, in a smaller place. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's the same way, you know, and I think this is where architecture comes in place, um, having a professional talking about it, going through it. Would you, what would you recommend in, in what to do about that? Like how to vision it? How to vision it? Um, I do think that, Pinterest and other inspiration images are a great place to start because the first thing you have to do is figure out what you actually like. Mm. And so sometimes it's, it seems like a very simple question, but a lot of times when we're working with clients, they'll be like, oh, here's my Pinterest. And you can kind of get an idea of what my style is. And then we open up their Pinterest and we realize I see every single style here under the sun. <laughs> it's like, I'm seeing Victorian, I'm seeing modern, I'm seeing, I mean, Edward, like I'm just seeing and seeing everything. And so we'll have to, you know, we go back to the client being like, so can you point out like, what's your five, top five, what are your favorite images here? And then, you know, it's, you slowly start to walk on, it's almost like a process of like self-discovery. Like, what do you actually like? Like what, what is that hidden unconscious picture in your brain? Mm. And so I think let's, let's just keep running with the, with flooring. And so say, you know, they want really dark floors Mm. They, and then you learn a little bit more about them in their particular situation. Say they have kids, say yeah. they have cats or a dog. Mm. If you want that really beautiful espresso stained dark wood floor, I just want you to know that you're going to see every single speck of <laughs> dust and hair that like, like crosses that floor. Anything that walks by will leave a trail. And so it, it photographs beautifully. Like no one, you can't argue with that, but it's a, it can be high maintenance in terms of having it always look that good. So, you know, maybe we can steer you to a slightly different finish that still has a rich feel. Yeah. Like maybe, you know, there's even great like um, tile or porcelain flooring that sort of looks like wood, but the sheen on it is different. The texture is different. So it's a bit more forgiving in terms of how I can walk into a room and see all my cat hair <laughs> on the floor. Yeah. And it's low maintenance as well. So. Low, exactly. Yeah. Again, so taking into account what's the client's lifestyle, like maybe they're by the beach and they're always tracking in sand and water. And mm-hmm. so all those 
just think about how to, because we, we constantly ask ourselves the question, how can we make you as comfortable as you can be in your home? How can your home work for you mm-hmm. instead of you working to upkeep your home? Yeah. Because, I mean, it is work. Homes are a lot of upkeep. It is. It is. It is a lot of work. Okay. All right. Then I think one other example that we touched on earlier that's probably, that I think is, um, I would like clients to think about is because lighting is always a hard thing for clients. Yeah, it's really it is tough and um and lighting especially in, the, in terms of the question of how much it really runs the gamut like you can go to home depot or whatever the equivalent is in the uk you know and buy some really expensive affordable fixtures hmm. or you can go to the showroom downtown and pay an arm and a leg i mean it's gorgeous but it's you know whatever you want to pay <laughs> you can find something <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i mean uh there uh, there are lightings that cost uh what a few dollars to a exactly. few thousand dollars. A few thousand. And it's incredible. And you think, what? That costs that much? It's, it's yes. amazing. But right. It's basically sometimes you walk into showrooms and you see a small mid-sized car or like hanging <laughs> from the <laughs> ceiling because it's like, it's like a custom-made whatever it is, like $20,000. Yeah. So there, yeah. that's, of course, the Rolls-Royce version of it. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Lighting can be tricky. And so I think, again, you go to Pinterest, you try and figure out what you like, but then you do have to go back to your space and study it because the conditions that made whatever design or fixture that was so great in that photo, Hmm. you may not have. Like sometimes, um, you know, there's, you'll have a tall built-in bookcase and you'll see those beautiful book lights above sort of shining down back on the books or on artwork. It looks gorgeous. And I love designing that, but... It's really hard to do if you have, a, say, a standard eight-foot ceiling height because if you take into, into account the trims, you're going to lose a few inches there. Then you take account another six inches for a, a flat surface to have the light mount to. You're, you're visually cutting down the height of your room. And so it's, even though it's a gorgeous feature, it might not be right for your specific home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So anyway, so... I think we've all come to this conclusion that there is a ton of decisions that's made in all projects. No matter how small your project is, there's a ton of decisions. And you just want to be out in front of it because if you're not making that decision, the contractor or sub will make that decision for you. And probably a lot of times because time is money, they might make it without even consulting you. So you'll come back one day and be like, oh, I didn't want that there. But since you never had the discussion Mm. and you weren't there... It just happened. Well, it's more to that. I think it's, um, you may have had the discussion, but you weren't specific. Mm. And that's it. I mean, uh, to, to, to usually the builder would come on site first thing, Monday morning, you know, ready to start. And you need to be out <laughs> in 10 minutes because you're right. in a rush to get to work. So in 10 minutes, you need to give instruction to the, the contractor that's doing the work and that's when you're not specific because you're rushing. Right. So, um, and then it can get into a whole heap of trouble because the contractor is times money and he needs exactly. to move on or she needs to move on. Um, and they'll end up making decisions, what they think from experience, but that might not match your style. 
So you end up um, in a battle in the end. And if the work has to be repeated, then that can be quite complicated and cost more money. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. So decision fatigue, how to avoid it. I think kind of like we said in the beginning, you, you plan. If you don't plan, you can plan to fail. (laughs) So I think there, in a, in a lot of, um, not a lot, in a full architectural set of drawings, you will always find schedules. And so these schedules are sort of a template, a really helpful template for a lot of decisions that you'll have to make. And we're talking about all the really micro decisions that you're not thinking about, but that have to be made. And if you don't make them, someone else will make them. And so I think, um, James, you spoke earlier on this. And so for all the listeners, we're going to have these downloadable templates to help you sort of think about all the decisions and then you can sort of sit back, see all the different templates and then think, okay, for all of these items, what's the cohesive look we're going for? What's the framework? What are my priorities? How do we get the most for our money and how do we create as close as possible to this home that we're envisioning, that we're dreaming of? And so there's room schedule and that has um, a schedule of what's the material on all the different walls. If it's paint, it lists the paint colors. It lists um, the trim, the molding, the, most, uh, the, the crown molding, and the base molding. There's probably a di- few different ones you're going to use in your home, depending on how high, how small, bathroom, living room, etc. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's window schedules. All of your windows, how big they are, what type. There's a plumbing fixture schedule. So you say, what kind of sink you have? What kind of faucet do you have? What kind of... Um, if there's a soap dispenser... And then also it helps you plan for, because every single plumbing fixture, there's also the rough plumbing that you don't see. Like you, you get to pick the pretty part, the thing that you see, but then you got <clears throat> every once in a while you have, you might pick something more unusual that has a specific spec of what goes in the wall. And then I've come across cases where you don't plan for what happens in the wall. And then suddenly this thing that you'd have your heart set on installing, you can't install it because you don't have room or for whatever reason. This is what we call the first fix plumbing. Uh, mm, so okay. The first fix and second fix. And second fix is always the beautiful bit. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, no, no one really wants to know. No homeowner wants to know how it works, how it, right. how, how it got to that position. I don't need to know what's going on behind the curtain. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Same thing about lighting fixtures because, you know, you say it's like, oh, I want LED lights. I want low voltage that takes extra work. You know, you got to put a transformer in your house. You got to figure out where that's going. You got to make sure it's not in a dangerous location, like right in your closet where your clothes are, you know, right up against it, you know, which everyone wants to put it there because you're like, Oh, there's space right here. Mm -hmm. So again, for lighting, there's also stuff that goes on in the walls. And the, the more you can plan for all of those things, the better your project will be, the smoother construction will go, the faster it'll go. Everyone will be happier. Your budget will be happier. It's a good thing to do. (laughs) And the last thing is, um, I think it's helpful to think about is when you pick out your tile, you got to also pick out the grout because that really changes the look of it. And that's not a snap judgment. I would recommend it not being a snap judgment because it has such an impact on the overall look Mm -hmm. that you really want to control that. And then if you don't specify it, your contractor will just use his tip, their typical or what they think is what they've done on previous projects that clients have liked. And a number of times that's happened. And usually when the client was not specific about it, they come back and they were 
disappointed. They're like, oh, I thought it would be this picture. Because when you say, I want a white subway tile, a white subway tile with white grout looks very different than a white subway tile with dark grout. And so you think you're saying your vision, but you're saying half of it. Just in case there's um, any listeners out there first time doing anything like this, grout is the product that goes in between the tiles. So, yes. um, and you're right. It's uh, the, the color really, really is important because it stands out and there are tons of colors. Um, I don't know what products you work with in America, but we work with um, a company called Mapai um, or Bao, B-A-L. And they've got a huge amount of colors that you can have, like five different shades of gray. Um, you know, it's, it's, you've got so much choice. And it really is, it's good to have the selection because it has to work. It has, it has to, to work. work. Yeah. It's like paint, really. <laughs> it is. It is like paint. Yeah. So I think that's, that's sort of a quick overview. Fantastic. Good. Yeah. Do you want to just uh, run through the bullet points just, uh, just to, in, to summarize? Yes, uh, to summarize. Um, plan, plan, plan. What are we planning? We're planning where things go. We're planning how many of them we're getting. We're planning on how big, how tall, how wide they are. We're planning on which way, what direction we're installing them. And we're planning on how much they are. We're planning on how important they are to overall projects. We can prioritize windows over flooring, etc. Yeah. The other thing you might plan for is hiring a professional because we are here to help you with all of that decision <laughs> fatigue. So you can plan, 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 or you can plan with a professional to help coach you through all of those decisions. I don't, yeah, I think um, we, we do keep on saying this about professionals, high professionals and everything else. Um, you know, I always refer to, I always refer to a car, you know, at, this, at the same time, you're going to drive that car every day. Um, you want to know, you want to make sure it's safe. You want to make mm-hmm. sure it's been done right, fixed right. And you're not going to do it yourself. You know, right. you're, you're going to take it to a professional and right. that professional is a mechanic that's been doing it for years. So, uh, and the, the, the result you get back is a good working car. And exactly. this, um, it's, it's, it's a shame that, um, I know budget has a, a has a real big player in it. But uh, it is a real shame when you hear the story. I mean, I hear the story and I see, um, you can see it all over the internet. It's not really hard to find. But um, where a homeowner does, what just says no, says no to professionals mm-hmm. and goes down the route of a loan. And the mistakes happen. It costs too much. They're bitter. They don't ever want to do it again. Right. And, and that is, that's the shame for us to see and watch that happen. It is. So, yeah. Yeah. It is a shame because it's, it doesn't, because it's a shame because it doesn't have to happen. And there usually is a way of um, bringing on board professional help in an affordable, scalable way. Absolutely. We, I mean, our industry is huge and mm. there's all sorts of companies, all sorts of businesses, and we all, have a different sort of, I mean, crude way of putting it, we have, have a different slice of the pie. And so we all sort of cater to a different um, price point, project type, et cetera. So help really is out there for you to find it. And, you know, hopefully this podcast is also one of your resources to do it once and do it right and love the result. 
that's what I hope. I hope that we do that, you know, um, continuously educating homeowners. That's the whole point. Um, yeah, and, and I think one more final point to make is that homeowners might think that if they've already begun their renovation, um, that it's too late to get a professional. And it's never too late. You know, it's a, if someone, if you are stuck, if you need advice, um, you can always call someone and they will come over and they'll talk it through with you. But do it rather late, uh, do it earlier rather than later. Exactly. Earlier will, it's, it's like the Boy Scouts. <laughs> Always be prepared. Always be prepared. <laughs> Always yeah. be prepared. Yeah. Earlier is better, but late is better than never. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think we're that. That's it. I think we're there. Julia, it was a fantastic episode. I'm, I'm really, really happy about that and I can't wait for it to go live. So um, thank you very much. Um, and I hope to see you on here again. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me, James. No problem. All right. Take care. If you're planning a renovation or you're moving into your first new home, then the Akiva Toolkit could be the solution you need. With its easy-to-use package of 10 documents, you are able to manage time, budget, and the communication between your builders and you to ensure the project is complete to satisfaction first time round. The Akiva Toolkit saves you money and time. It's for the first-time renovator and the renovator that wants to do things better the second time round. It's a fraction of the cost compared to paying for mistakes or repeating work that's already done. Go to akivatoolkit.com and get your project off to a perfect start today.